Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Exodus chapter 17, beginning with the first verse. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a couple of months back, Julianne and I took a little road trip, a day trip up to a little town in southeast Georgia called Waycross. Waycross is the town that my father grew up in, and so it was a great chance for me to share with Julianne a little bit of my family history. We drove by the house where my father grew up. We drove by the school where he went to school. We even drove by the football stadium where he played football. We even went out to the cemetery where my grandfather is buried. And while we were there, I really told Julianne how much I wished she had had the chance to get to know my grandfather. I've told you all about him before. He was quite the jokester, had a wonderful sense of humor. When my brother and I would go and visit, he would have us sit down right beside him and he would play these little games with us. Sometimes he would reach down and pinch the back of our legs and we would jump up and he would say, oh, you've got ants in your pants. Or Sometimes we would sit beside him and he would pinch the top of our knee and it would hit that nerve just right so that we would jump up and he would say, oh, that's a horsey bite. That's what he called that. But our favorite game was a game called Be Brave. I think I've told you about this before. He would tell us to raise our arms straight up in the air as high as we could, and then he would slowly move his finger towards our ticklish armpit. And as he moved it closer, he would say, Now be brave. Well, the anticipation would always get me, and I would put my arm down long before he could get to me and tickle me, and he would always laugh and say, Oh, son, you've got to learn to be brave. I think about him, and I think about being brave. That's what he taught me to do, to be brave. Not just because of that game that he played with us, but also because of the life that he lived. He was served in the armed forces during World War II, and when he came home, he was a, a policeman in South Georgia, a police detective, and helped lots of people with his work. I even have a little badge that he used to carry around with him, and I keep it in my pocket, especially in days when I need to have courage, when I need to be brave, I will just hold it in my hand and rub it together, and I will just say, Brad, 
Remember granddad and be brave. As I told you in our sermon last week, we're in a difficult time where we all need to be courageous. We all need to be brave, but sometimes that's really hard for us to do, especially in times like this. And yet, there are countless examples all throughout the Bible of courageous people, people who hold on to their faith, people who stick with God, people who show courage in spite of difficult obstacles. And the main character in our passage this morning is no exception. Moses was a very courageous person in spite of how scared he often was. He stood up to the Pharaoh of Egypt, the the Egyptian king who the Egyptians really thought of almost like a living God. And even though he grew up in that house, he, he knew that Pharaoh, he knew how ruthless he could be. But later in life he left and was called back by God to go and stand up to Pharaoh, to stand up to Egypt and stand up to evil and help those Hebrew people get out of slavery. It's a wonderful example of courage in the face of danger, courage in the face of our enemies. And we truly have seen that kind of courage all around us recently. Of course, we've seen it in our healthcare workers who have been fighting this COVID virus and facing danger every day. But we also see it in our first responders and our police officers who constantly put themselves in harm's way. Sometimes we see it in school children who are willing to stand up to bullies who are bullying their friends. And maybe, hopefully, we see it in our church as well when we're willing to stand up for those people around us, the last and the least and the lost, those people who don't have a voice. We see courage all around us, courage in the face of danger, courage where people are willing to stand up to their enemies. But today, I want to talk about a different type of courage. A courage that I think you see from Moses in the passage that I read from Exodus. If you haven't read Exodus in a while, you ought to try to read it. It's a, a long story about the deliverance of the people of Israel, the people, go, uh, the Hebrews going to the promised land. But when they get out into the wilderness, when they escape from the Pharaoh, a new problem starts. The people of Israel, the people of the Hebrews start to doubt They become afraid. They become worried that God has forgotten about them. And that's what happens in our passage this morning. They're out in the middle of the desert and they get thirsty. And of course, when that thirst grows, they start to doubt God and they start to turn on Moses. And Moses has to do something that takes a lot of courage. He is called to stand up to his own people. Now, of course, he could back down and and follow them and, and renounce God just like they're ready to do. But instead, Moses is called to stand up to his own people, the people that he belongs to, the people that he loves, the people that he's helped to deliver and hold fast to God. That takes a lot of courage. I think it's a little different courage than standing up to our enemies, but it takes courage for us to stand up to our family, to stand up to our loved ones, to stand up to the people in our own camp. It takes courage to stand up to them because when we stand up to them, we risk something. We risk losing the place where we belong. That actually happened to a dear friend of mine. His name was Josh, and he grew up in South Carolina like I did. But he grew up in a, in, in a wonderful family. His father was an itinerant preacher who went around and preached at lots of different places. But they together as a family founded a, a campsite, a Christian camp and conference center. And it was affiliated more with a, a, a more fundamentalist church. And even though as, as my friend Josh grew up, he kind of grew away from that theology, he still loved that camp. And it was always home 
home to him. And when his father retired as the director, he went back after college to become the director and replace his father. Well, after he became the director, some controversy always happens, and it happened to him. One of the worship leaders who had worked at this camp for many, many years started to really get concerned and worried about the way this fundamentalist group was addressing the gay and lesbian people in our world. He was worried about those teenagers who were coming to the camp and hearing words of judgment and hatred rather than words of love. And so this worship leader went to the board of directors and asked them if they could just start to begin a conversation talking about how they address this issue in our world. Well, the board of directors wasn't interested in doing any talking. In fact, they immediately asked that worship leader to resign. My friend Josh, who was the director at the time, was so upset by the way they treated this family member, this person who had been working with this camp for many, many years. And so a few days later, he went to the board and said, there's got to be a better way that we can treat our employees, that when they come to us and want to talk to us and ask questions of us, that we can respond with care, with a listening ear, with grace. Well, as it turns out, the board didn't want to listen to him either. And they asked my friend to resign. And just like that, the place that he called home, the place where he belonged, he lost it in a second. Just by standing up to people that he loved, standing up to people that he knew, standing up to the people in the place that he called home. That takes a lot of courage for us to do that, and there's much for us to risk, and that's why it's so hard for us at times to stand up to our friends, to stand up to our families, to stand up to our loved ones, to stand up to those people that have the same ideals as us, because it's there with them that we know we belong. That's why it's hard for us to stand up to our employer or our colleagues when we feel like something wrong is happening, because we're worried we might lose our paycheck or lose our jobs. That's why it's hard for us to stand up to our parents when we feel like some of their ideals are hurtful to the people around us because after all, they brought us into this world. That's why it's hard for us to stand up to our friends because they are the ones who give our lives hope and meaning and they are the ones who give us a place in this world, a place where we belong. And there's much to lose. I dare say it's because of this very reason, this lack of courage, that we have what I call an accountability problem in our world today. It's far too easy for us to try to hold our enemies and our adversaries accountable for the things that they do, and far too difficult for us to hold ourselves accountable. Those on our side of the fence, those on our side of the aisle, it's far too difficult for us to hold ourselves accountable when we look in the mirror. We would rather hold our adversaries accountable and offer ourselves grace rather than offer our adversaries grace and hold ourselves accountable. But every now and then, when you look through history, you can see people who have that kind of courage. And that's the case with our hymn this morning. Our hymn this morning is, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. The author of that hymn was a Welshman named William Williams. He was a smart child, grew up on a farm, and had decided he wanted to become a doctor, had even gotten into medical school. And then one day, in the middle of the 1700s, he went to a revival to hear a Methodist preacher. And that Methodist preacher changed his life. He talked to him a little bit more about Jesus Christ and what it meant to share the love of Christ with others. And in those moments, he realized he was not called to be a doctor. He was called to be a minister. 
And so he went to the Anglican church, the church that he knew so well, a church that he had grown up in, and tried to go into training to be a priest, and he did so. But the Methodist theology that he had learned at that revival kept shining through with everything that he did. And so when the time came for him to be ordained, they rejected him. They said, you're not ready to be ordained until you adopt the tenets of our faith, the tenets of the Anglican faith, and push back all these things that you learned from that revivalist. Well, William Williams had a choice to make. He could, of course, accept all the things that his, his peers and his, his mentors were trying to get him to accept, the theology of the Anglican church. And if he had done so, he probably would have had a very comfortable life. He could have gotten his own little church and his own little parish and cared for those people, been very much comforted and supported all the days of his life. But instead, he held fast to God. He held fast to his convictions and they kicked him out. But instead of accepting just a little parish in Wales, William Williams decided that the entire country would be his parish. And he got on horseback and rode to every little town and every little village, riding over 100,000 miles just in Wales alone, preaching the gospel to people who would listen. At times he had to take on odd jobs. He sold tea leaves and did work around people's farms just to support himself. He took on a hard life, a difficult life. At times he was cheered by crowds and at times he was beaten up by mobs. But he did so because he believed in his convictions that God was with him. And I like to think that he looked back at some of those other heroes from his past. People who had done the same thing, had the same courage to stand up to those people that they loved. To stand up to the church that they had grown up in. People like John Calvin, people like Martin Luther, and maybe even people like Moses. That's why he wrote this hymn, inspired by Moses' courage in the wilderness. He writes this hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. That's what William Williams believed, that even if he lost his place of belonging in the world, God still had that powerful hand upon him, holding him, guiding him, caring for him every step of the way. Even when he was despised and rejected, that hand of God was upon him. Well, that sounds like someone else we know, doesn't it? Another person who many years later, many years after Moses, would be despised and rejected, but continue to be faithful to God. Another person many years after Moses who would gather around a table with people who would betray him, and yet he forgave them. And after his resurrection, he made a place at the table for them again. In a few moments, we're going to gather around a table, a table that God has prepared for you. And it's a table where you always have a place. A table where you always belong, whether you do the right things or whether you do the wrong things. Whether you have courage or whether you are afraid, you will always have a place where you belong at that table. God's hand will always be upon you there. And so God calls us to come, to be courageous, even when it's hard, even when we might lose everything, knowing that we are always a child of God, and we always belong to God. So hopefully, as you gather around this table today, as you break the bread and as you share the cup, 
you'll remember that God has a hand on you. And it will give you courage. Because knowing that we're a child of God, knowing that we belong to God, knowing that there's nothing we can do that could separate us from God's love, well, that gives me courage. That gives me courage to go out into the world and be brave. Thanks be to God. Amen.